0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right, so if you have a Bible, open up with me to Philemon this morning. Philemon, we were back from a um, pastor's conference last week. Probably need some lights so you can read your Bibles, huh? But uh, we were back uh, from a pastor's conference this last uh, week. We went to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to the Deep South Pastor's Conference In Atlanta, what a great time that was. And a great refreshing uh, teaching about um, just staying true to the word of God. You know, we we don't have to have gimmicks and, and, you know, try and woo people into the body of Christ. Jesus does that. The Holy Spirit does that. That's his job. Our job is to teach them and equip them so that they can do the work of the ministry. And so what a great, you know, it's funny because a lot of the guys talked about, this is the uniqueness of Calvary Chapel and that, uh, you know, we stay true to, re- to verse-by-verse teaching of the Word of God. And because I don't go to church on Sundays anywhere else, I don't know that. It's good to hear that they're they're. well, it's not good to hear actually, but it's, it's, it's interesting to note that we're very few churches in our area that teach verse-by-verse through the Bible. And so I uh, it just, it was a, help me re- remember why we're doing what we're doing. And it's uh, it's an amazing thing. Never take the word of God for granted. Just start reading word for word, and it will change and transform your life. It is alive and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. Amen. Here we are this morning in Philippians. We will finish up uh, our our sermon this week. Is the last words of Paul to Philemon. And uh, so that means next Sunday, is share Sunday, if you want to share something that you learned that God has done in your life through the book of Titus and also the book of Philemon the last three weeks, I would encourage you to sign up today. Today is the last day that you can do that. A three to five minute testimony on what God has done in your life over the last, you know, eight weeks that we've been going through Titus and Philemon. I encourage you, it's, it's such a blessing to hear from the body of Christ what God is doing through his word. It helps us to be reminded it helps us to know that his word can meet us right where we are You know whether we're in in, on the mountaintop or the valley low It can change and transform our lives So if that's you if the lord's talking at your heart. Hey, I should do that. You need to do that It's a blessing to do it. It blesses the body. Don't rob the body Don't don't rob the body if god is encouraging you to do that do that sign up today So here we go. Oh, Oh, by the way Do you guys know where we're going next? The book of Revelation, verse by verse, yeah, so it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, man. It's, uh, we're not afraid to dive into the, the, the Bible, folks. We let the Bible interpret the Bible. We don't have to figure out what these things mean. Let, when, when the Bible is silent on something, guess what we do? Come up with No, we don't. We, we let the Bible say what it says, and we're okay with that. We don't want to speculate. So I'm going to do my best as we go through the book of Revelation to not speculate on things. If I'm speculating, and I'll tell you, this is my speculation. But I'm encouraged and I'm excited to, to do the book of Revelation. So stand with me. We're going to read Philemon, the last few verses, beginning in verse 19. Paul speaking, says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, uh, Jesus, sends greetings to you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask you, Lord, to come and just quiet, in the quietness of our own hearts, Lord, will you speak to us? Will you help us to understand grace this morning, Lord? The grace that we've been given through Jesus Christ. And the same grace that you want to flow through us upon others, Lord. Will you help us, Lord, to understand that this morning. We do love you, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can hear my voice maybe going. So, if it does, we'll just keep going. When I was a young boy, I thought my greatest need was money. And there's a reason for that. I didn't grow up in a family where we had a lot of money and... The money that we had wasn't used in a proper manner. There was no money management system in my home. And so from a young age uh, uh, of 10 years old or so, I began to try and make as much money as I could. I started a little business and I went door to door and I, I shoveled as much snow as people would allow me to shovel. And I mowed as many lawns as I was allowed to mow. Every year I worked hard to to get money in my pocket and because I did not want to struggle like my parents struggled. However, I did struggle just like my parents because I had the same problem they did, a money management problem. My parents both worked hard and, uh, you know, and they earned a living, but the problem is they didn't know how to manage what they were given, And I had done the same thing. Their problems spilled over in my life. It wasn't that I wasn't making enough money at 10 years old, by the way. But it was that I was spending more money than I made. Now, some of you younger people, I don't know if they're even in here, but some of you have no idea what joy it is to send a penny attached to a card in the mail with selections of your favorite CDs. And you mail that puppy in there, and later, six weeks, maybe later, you get a package in the mail with CDs for a penny. You're thinking, this is awesome. I had multiple subscriptions of these things. But did you know that there was an attachment to that? It was called a subscription-based membership, right? The very first subscription-based memberships. And guess what? I started to rack up bills more bills than I could pay, right? And I I learned very quickly, um, you know, to change your ad. No, I didn't. But I learned very quickly not to sign up for things that I couldn't pay for. Well, you know, it it was interesting as I grew up and as I continued to grow up, I had the same problem. You know, I I spent more money than I made. I I I needed somebody to train me in money management. This is where my wife comes along. She has a PhD in money management. It blew my mind that um, she, as a young person, had a savings account with money in it. That was amazing to me. She was a fiducially responsible person at a young age because of her parents. Her parents taught her money management, and it paid off for her. Just to illustrate how wise she was when she was younger, uh, there was a period of time in our very beginning of our relationship where... She was at a place where she couldn't pay her insurance. And, you know, she, the way I grew up was totally different than her. The mentality was totally different. If that happened in my house, my parents would just let the insurance lapse and they would continue to drive. My dad would probably even take the insurance card and because he was an artist, he would change those numbers a little bit. So if he got pulled over, he could say, I have insurance, which was totally illegal. That's how I grew up. My wife, on the other hand... Because of her parents, they told her to call uh, the, her insurance uh, agent and to let them know that she needs to put her car in storage. And so it would reduce the rate for her, still have insurance on it, but she's not driving it until she could pay the full premium. That's amazing that she actually did that. And she got rides everywhere she went to, to work and to whatever she needed to do. She asked people for rides for like a year. She understood money management. She understood the resources that she had and to live within th- those means. My parents, w- you know, we, we grew up pawning things to get money to pay things off so you can see the difference in the mentality. Well, I asked my wife to become my financial sensei and she obliged me. She taught me the, the samurai ways of Spending less money than you make, you know, saving money, and I'm thankful for that because, as of today, now I handle our finances in our home, and we're on the same page with the money management system. What 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 I was uh, not lacking was resources. What I was lacking is is the, in implementation of those resources to manage those resources well. What does this have to do with Philemon? You see, the reality of it is is that we have all the resources we need from God to do anything and everything that we need to do. We're not lacking resources. First, uh, 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has given us every resource that we need in order to accomplish every single thing that he's asked us to accomplish. As Christians, we don't have a resource problem when it comes to living a godly life. What we may lack though is a management system of those resources. Nobody comes out of the proverbial womb with a system of implementation of the resources that God has given us. These are things that we learn to use. We're discipled. Someone comes alongside of us. Somebody shows us how we are to implement the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, allowing the fruit of the Holy Spirit to come out in our lives. How, do we, how to discover even what those things might be. We need, we need mentorship. We need discipleship. We need, we need a spiritual sensei to come alongside of us and show us the way. When it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation, Here's the reality of it is, we don't have a resource problem. We probably have an implementation of those resource problems. We have a a management problem, a resource management problem. We don't know how to deploy this, or we don't want to. Here's what I learned about my parents in their bad example of the, the financial side of things, that it spilled over into my life. And here's the reality. Many of you have grown up in... a home that maybe has not you know has not been the example of forgiveness and reconciliation so you and that's spilled over into your life and so you you have a hard time forgiving people you have a hard time reconciling with people and that may be you this morning what i want you to know is you have to change your thinking about this it's not a resource problem it's a management problem you need, and thankfully the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is teaching us how to implement, implement love in the body of Christ and even outside the body of Christ when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation. Yes. He's teaching us how to do these things. The main resource that will help us when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation is the five-letter word known as grace, grace. Adrian Rogers defines grace as an acronym. You may know it, God's riches at Christ's expense. If grace doesn't spell forgiveness and reconciliation, I don't know what does. Hence the title of my message this morning, grace works, grace works, folks. When we implement grace in any situation, it works. It works. It, you will accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in your life. Grace works to bring forgiveness and reconciliation to fruition. If we uh, we don't lack the grace to forgive and reconcile, for as we've learned, we have all the grace that we need to accomplish what God desires us to do. We don't need to get more grace. We just need to use the grace that we've been given more wisely. That's how we will be able to forgive and reconcile. When we fail in this area, again, it's not a resource problem. It's a resource management problem. And Paul wants us to understand that the main resource that we need to be able to do what he's asking us to do here is grace. And it comes from verse 25 here where he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What I think Paul is communicating in the final words of this letter is that we need the grace of Jesus to flow through us in, in, in times where we've been wronged, in times where somebody has sinned against us, in times when somebody is, you know, speaking against us or being mean to us or whatever the case might be. It's the grace of God that we need in that moment. We don't need them to change. We need to be dispensers of grace. That's what Paul is telling Philemon here. We can't change what happened. You can't change the wrong that's done. But what you can do is respond in the right way. And that's what God's call is on our life. To be people who respond to wrongs in the right way. And it's, it's by grace that we can do these things. Grace is the resource that we need to bring about reconciliation. I know you know this, but life is too short for us to live at odds with each other. It's too short. You're going to spend all of eternity with, with true believers. So you should practice getting along together here on earth. It's the point. God wants us to, to be uh, ambassadors of Christ to show that, he can forgive anybody, and if he can forgive anybody, then we should be able to forgive anybody, right? It's a hard thing. I know. I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know the circumstances you've gone through. Maybe the most trusted people in your life violated you. I don't know, but here's what I know is God's grace is sufficient in your weakness. That's what I know. God will give you the strength you need to overcome whatever circumstance has happened in your life for you to be able to be a dispenser of grace in this world. He wants us to do these things and he's demonstrated that for us. The Bible says while we were yet still sinners, Christ died. He didn't wait for you to get better. He came with grace and forgiveness immediately while you were at your worst and offered it to you. Is that amazing? That's his love at work through grace. And he expects the same from us. God does everything that he does for love's sake. And we should allow the love of God uh, to flow through us in every decision and action that we take. And grace will always be present with agape love, folks, always. God doesn't operate in agape love outside of his grace. Grace is always attached to it, and he's always um, dispensing grace when he's loving us. We need to learn how to be gracious to one another. We need to teach each other how to do this. We need to model it before each other, and especially your children. You know why? Because they're learning from you. The way that you manage your grace, the resource of grace in your life, they're watching, and they're going to do the same thing. Uh, my wife and I, when, when my kids were growing up we we wanted to give them an illustration of grace, and so we we decided that when they really messed up at times that we would go in, we would pray to the Lord, we would ask the lord we, we committed this to the Lord, we asked him to give us wisdom on when to when to you know, discipline them and when to just give them grace, and so we would pray before we went in to talk to our kids and one time I went into my son Silas's and I said, Hey, um, you know, we sat down and we talked about what he had did and all of that and there was a genuine sorry, you know, genuine sorrow in his heart and and I felt like the Lord was telling me, Hey, give him grace. Give him grace. Let him see the grace of God at, at work. And so I said, You know, are are you know, are you sorry? And he said, Yeah, Dad, I'm sorry. And I said, Okay. Well let let me ask you this last question. Are you ever gonna do this again? And this little boy looked up at me with with sort of tears in his eyes. He goes, "Probably." <laughs> and I, I was laughing so hard I couldn't I couldn't spank him. I had to give him grace. There was no point in that. That was the sovereignty of God at work in that moment. I, I, I but but we wanted our kids to understand that, so we would do that. Ken Sandy, in his book Peacemaker, talks about breathing grace as a part of biblical peacemaking. He said. As we have seen throughout this book, peacemakers are people who breathe grace to others in the midst of conflict. Since we cannot breathe out what we have not breathed in, this process hinges on our moment-to-moment relationship with God. We must continually breathe in God's grace by studying and meditating on his word, praying to him, thanking him for his mercy and rejoicing in our salvation, worshiping him, partaking in the Lord's Supper, and enjoying the fellowship of other believers. As we're filled with his grace, we can then breathe it out to others by confessing our wrongs, bringing the hope through the gospel, lovingly showing others their faults, forgiving them as God has forgiven us and manifesting in our words and actions the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When every one person in a conflict is, when even one person in a conflict is faithfully breathing out this kind of grace, others will often receive God's grace through us. As they do, they're less likely to be defensive and more inclined to listen to our concerns. It's the grace of God that brings reconciliation into the heart of man. What Paul is demonstrating and asking Philemon to do in this situation is breathe out grace upon Philemon. This is the heart of our King Jesus. He is our primary example of breathing out grace. We, as his ambassadors, should always err on the side of grace because grace works. There's six things that Paul shows us in this passage and six different ways grace works in this text. First, we find grace works to repay all that we owe. Grace works to repay all we owe. Verse 19, I, Paul, write with my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Paul begins his final statement to Philemon, stating that he is writing with his own hand. Now, it's uncertain whether Paul meant he was writing the entire letter, to philemon with his own hand or just this section but here's what paul is expressing it's as if to say i'm writing to you right now with my own hand and i owe you for all of the debt of onesimus regardless of what it costs i will pay you paul wants philemon to sense his sincerity and his willingness to repay the debt that onesimus owes So much so that he takes up the pen personally to write to Philemon. He says, I will pay it. I will repay it. This is a reiteration of Paul, what Paul had just said in verse 18. If you look there, it says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul said he was willing to pay restitution to Philemon for whatever Onesimus owed. And we talked about that last week. Many scholars believe that Onesimus must have stolen from Philemon to um, fund his escape. And so what Paul is doing is standing in the gap for Onesimus, much like Jesus did for us. And he's willing to pay whatever the price is to make restitution for the sin that was committed. And again, we talked about this last week, but what a picture of Jesus that Paul is in this letter, willing to stand in the gap For somebody who has done a wrong. And instructing another person to do what's right in this moment. To forgive and to receive him in. Paul says, I'm willing to repay just like Jesus has repaid you. He goes on to casually remind Philemon of the grace that he had received, right? He says, "Um, let me remind you that you owe me even your own self. In other words... Philemon, without the grace of God working in your life, you would be lost. You would be hopeless. You would be destitute. You would be stuck in your sin. You would not have the hope of heaven, Philemon. Let me remind you that the gospel is what changed your life. And you received the gospel by grace through faith. And that not even of yourself, but it's a gift from God. Let me remind you, Philemon, of the forgiveness that you received from our good, good father who sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the price, who was pinned to the tree, who bled and died and rose again from the dead so that you could be saved. That's grace, and you're a recipient of that grace. And I'm telling you, like Christ was willing to pay for your sin, I am willing to pay for his sin as a sacrificial lamb. And here's, I'm asking you to dispense grace in this moment. Listen, grace works in these moments of our lives when we are, um, somehow we forget about the grace that we've received. Grace reminds us of what Jesus has done to pay the price for us. And when we're reminded, we're oftentimes a a lot less, um, a lot more likely to forgive a debt or forgive somebody for what they've done when we remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. Here's what I found in my own life is that nobody has sinned as greatly as I have sinned against God. No one has grieved me as greatly as I have grieved God. No one has sinned against me as numerous times as I've sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? When I'm reminded of that, I'm like, oh, I should probably forgive this one. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm just saying. Probably should do that. Forgive them. I know sometimes there are circumstances that really hurt you. And, you know, it's really hard to get over those things. And that's why without it breathing in grace, it's very difficult to breathe out grace in some circumstances, and situations. But but that doesn't uh, neglect the responsibility to do so. It doesn't matter how tough it is to do it. God still calls us to do it. He wants us to forgive each other. He wants us to reconcile with one another. And Paul is reminding Philemon that even his own life is a a response to grace. He received grace from the Lord Jesus. Well, grace not only works to repay all that we owe, but it also works to bring refreshment to others. Look at verse 20 there. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ Paul goes on here to tell Philemon that he would like some benefit from him in the Lord. Now, this might seem kind of selfish. Like, what is he saying? He wants some benefit. What do you mean? Like, he's kind of playing on the words here. This word benefit in, in, the, uh, in the Greek means profitable. And it actually is the root word of the word onesimus, which means useful. Paul is simply playing on words here, and the benefit that he wants to receive is he he wants to receive perhaps even uh, Onesimus back to himself because he's become so useful in his life. Many scholars believe that's what Paul is saying here. But regardless of what it is, what Paul is asking him to do is to be beneficial in this moment. Maybe beneficial to himself, but perhaps beneficial to the body of Christ and his example, the way that he responds to this situation. And notice he doesn't, he tells them exactly how to do it. He doesn't say, hey man, just, just do it. He says, do it in the Lord. The only way that, that Philemon can be beneficial to Paul in this moment is if he's in the Lord, if he's walking in the spirit of God. If he's allowing the spirit of God to flow through him, that's the only way that he'll be able to be uh, profitable in this moment. Because Paul knows he trusts the Lord that the Lord will bring about the grace that's necessary for forgiveness and reconciliation to happen. And so he's trusting the Lord here. He says, listen, just do me a favor, make sure it's in the Lord. You know, sometimes we act and we say, oh yeah, it's in the Lord, but it's really not. And then we're powerless at some point and we wonder what happened. Well, you stepped out in the flesh. The flesh will fail you at some point. You can go a little bit. You can, it can even look like it's the Lord at some point. But if you're in the flesh, it will eventually You'll fall flat on your face. But if you're in the Lord, he will never fail you. He will give you what you need to accomplish what it is that he's calling you to accomplish. That's why Paul makes it clear. You need to be in the Lord when it comes to these things. You want to be beneficial? You need to be in the Lord Some people believe that, again, Paul is asking Philemon to send Onesimus back. And that would become a refreshment to Paul in Christ. Because Onesimus has become a a, a very beneficial part of Paul's ministry in Rome. We don't know what he's doing or whatever, but Paul makes it clear through this letter, like, I love this man, Onesimus. God is radically changing his life, and he has become a great aid to me as I'm in prison. And I would love to keep him, but notice what he said earlier in the letter, I don't want to just do that. I don't want to keep, he came to Christ, I don't want to just keep him. The right thing to do is for him to go back, make what's right, and if you decide to send him back to me, great. But he's saying, man, what a refreshment that would be. What a refreshment that would be. Grace works to bring refreshment to others when life happens. It's the only thing that can bring refreshment to Paul because legally, Onesimus is in big trouble here. Philemon could have him uh, branded with an F on his forehead as a fugitive, walk around Mark the rest of his life. He could have him imprisoned. You know, he could have him killed if he wanted to. What Onesimus needs is grace, unmerited favor of Philemon and then... Paul asked for additional grace by Philemon by maybe asking him to send him back. What I know is this, people in our culture need to be refreshed by the grace of God. You know, I, I, I think in our, even in the church, we lack grace to one another. We lack it. And if we're not gracious to our brothers and sisters, we're certainly not going to be gracious to people outside. We will not be gracious to people outside. Uh, The world needs to see grace at work. And when they see grace at work, what a refreshment that is to them. It's refreshing to see people, uh, you know, doing the biblical thing in the church and reconciling with one another, doing the right thing. That's refreshing. Why? Because it's not happening. Because it doesn't happen all that often in our culture I don't know what it's like in other cultures, but I can tell you in America, if I get mad at somebody in this church, I'll just leave and go somewhere else. I won't even tell them about it. I'll just bail. Is that biblical? No. Jesus said, hey, whatever altar you find yourself at, if you have something against your brother, your worship is not acceptable to me. You need to go make that right. He's serious about these things. You know, his his son Jesus Christ died to bring reconciliation to him. He's pretty serious about us being reconciled to one another. And but when that happens, it's refreshing. We see real grace at work in the world, man. It's refreshing. And the world takes note of these things, folks. Jesus said, They will know you. He's talking about them. Outside the church, they will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Again, Every time grace is at work, agape love is at work at the same time. It's the agape love of God flowing through us that allows us to dispense grace in the moment. The world needs to see this, folks. We need to refresh one another by being gracious. We need to refresh the world that we live in by being gracious to one another. Paul goes on to talk about how grace works to bring us into obedience and beyond. Look at verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. How many of you guys believe that character is one of the most as- important aspects of your life? Is character important? Anybody? A couple of you are like, yeah, I think so. You're half, it's a half hand up. I'm not sure, maybe. I think we all would agree that character is super important. Spurgeon said it like this regarding character, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when flowers have withered. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Have character in this world. Leave an impression on people so that when you leave, people are like, "Wow, I told you a couple weeks ago that my uh, mentor last week actually he 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 passed away of COVID at 54 years old and." Um, The guy, I watched his um, Celebration of Life service, and he he was so impactful, you know, on on a lot of other people. But the most, you know, you know true character, you know that it's true character when your family stands up and talks about you. When your own kids stand up and talk about you and how much impact you've made in your life. That's real character. Your family sees you behind closed doors. And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But... The reality of it is, is make an impression with your character. The great theologian Bruce Lee said, knowledge with, uh, will give you power, but character earns respect. You want to be respected? You need to have good character. You need to be a person of integrity. You need to do the right thing. You need to allow the Lord to work in your life to, sh- to show that you are trustworthy, D.L. Moody said regarding character is what you are in the dark. Your family sees that character, and that's the real character. That's the one God sees. It's that character. Character is the single most important thing a person can possess. It gives those around us confidence that uh, we will respond in the right way when life goes south. And it will go south at some point. Tragedy happens, difficulties come, trials are sure, and it's character that will get you through those things. And in fact, God uses those things to build character in our lives, the scripture tells us. Character is important, and it tells everybody the story of how are we going to respond when difficulties come. Paul knows the character Philemon. He's already stated, hey, Philemon, I know that the, the way that you live your life, that what I'm asking you, you're going to do. I have confidence in you. Why? Because I know your character. Here's the character Paul lists in verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul knows this man's character. And look what he says. I have confidence in you. I am confident in your obedience. Why? Because I know your character. I know your character. Do the people that are around you know your character? Are they confident that when something happens, you're going to respond right? Are are you a ticking time bomb? Are they like, Lord, please don't let anything happen. (laughs) Please, Lord. I'm begging you, God. You know what's going to happen, you know? Be careful. Paul is confident in Philemon that he will be obedient because he's a man of character. You have to live in such a way as to make it, make people believe this. And Philemon did that. He took care of his testimony. Do you take care of your testimony? You know, when you're in the world and, and you know, you're at work and something happens, do you blow up? Or do you respond graciously? These are the kind of things that we need to think about beyond this world, folks, because we're laying a testimony before people. And we want to we lay a good testimony before people. Philemon had done that. And so Paul goes on to say, I, I write to you knowing that you will even do more. Why is he saying that? He, I'm gonna, you're going to do even beyond uh, obedience. You're going to do more. Why, why is he saying that? because he understands the character of this man. This guy isn't to the letter of the law kind of dude. This guy goes exceedingly and abundantly more than what he's called to do. You know, when God tells us to be gracious to each other, are you trying to find the line on that? Like, where where can I... I just want to cross the line, Lord, because I don't think they deserve too much grace. So I want to make sure that I only come just over the line so that i'm compliant so that i'm a, the rule follower but i don't want to go too far no that's not what he's saying he's saying go beyond when you give people grace go beyond go way beyond just um you know forgiving them for their sin reconcile with them go beyond it have a relationship with him if it's possible if it's possible have a real relationship with that person Be the person that is willing to do crazy things, forgive crazy things that have happened in order to go beyond the the call to obedience to do even more than what God is asking because that's what he does for us. You know, he tells us that he will forgive our sins if we come to the cross, right? And is God up there going, well, I'm only gonna go to the edge of that. I'm only gonna go that far. No, because then he tells us, oh, when you come to the cross, guess what? You get exceedingly more. You become an heir to the kingdom of God. You become a son of God. You, everything that he, Jesus has, you have. All his promises are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. You get far more than just forgiveness when you come to the cross, folks. You get eternity with him. You, you, get, you, know, you, you, you get exceedingly abundantly more. And that's what he's calling us to. Some of us are just looking for lines, and we want to be just just obedient enough. But that's not the life that God is calling us to. He's calling us to go exceedingly above these things, not like a Pharisee. A Pharisee will make a rule, and then they'll follow that rule meticulously. And the, the rule, the reason why they made those rules, by the way, was when they came back out of the captivity from Babylon, when they, wrote, when they formed the Sanhedrin and all of that, that's when that happened. The reason they did that is because they never wanted to step beyond God's law again. So what they did was they drew the line way back here to be obedient to the Lord so they didn't get in trouble again. Are they in trouble again? I think they are. That didn't work. You know, the reality of it is is it's not in the flesh. It's, it's the Spirit of God working in our lives. And so we don't determine what it looks like. The Lord will. He'll show you what to do. But let his grace flow through you, man. Let him th- flow through you. Don't be, don't be a, um, you know, somebody that's only looking to fulfill the letter of the law. Be a person that is looking to fulfill the spirit of intent. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want law. Keepers he wants people that are walking in the spirit of God that are willing to go exceedingly above and beyond, more because that's how he is to us The intent of grace is to give us what we don't deserve To give us what we don't deserve and Grace works in this way folks blow people's minds with God's grace blow their mind Be such a dispenser of grace that people are like Whoa, that's amazing This leads us to our fourth point, grace works to keep us accountable. Look at verse 22. Paul says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Paul apparently knew that the case that he had, that the Romans had against him was going to be, you know, it was weak. And so he was going to be released. And of course he was released. We know that. But what, what he tells Philemon is, you know, it's just a matter of time before I'm going to be released. So in anteci- anticipation of that, prepare a room for me so that when I come, I can rejoice with you in the amazing grace of God at work in our lives. Paul says, um, you know, that, that he, I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Paul is asking for prayer and notice he notices the power of prayer. The apostle Paul understands the power of prayer. He's asking for even though his case is weak and he probably understands like I'm gonna be released, he's still asking for prayer. He's depending on the Lord to get him through this situation, you know? And we know, we all all would say, oh yeah, prayer works. But oftentimes it's the last thing we do. You know, we, we all know the power of prayer. We say we do. And yet it's oftentimes the very last thing that we do. You know, our country is in disarray. What are we doing? Are you praying? Isn't that the very first thing we should be doing? Above anything else, above taking a step to a protest line or anything else, shouldn't we pray to the God that can change anything? We should be praying people. Paul is saying, I don't really care what it looks like. Philemon, will you pray for me? You know, and, and we look in our world today, we don't know, we, we see what it looks like. It's chaos. Can God turn that around through prayer? You bet he can. You bet he can. We want to see him do that. We need to be people of prayer. Paul is a man of prayer, and he depends on prayer to get him through these things. Paul is saying, and here's what Paul is really saying to Philemon, though, is that when I get out, I'm going to come check up on you and see how this went. That's really what he's saying. I'm going to keep you accountable. Like, I, like I want to know what you did with this letter, Philemon. When I show up, I, we're going to talk about this. We're going to say, hey, where's Onesimus at? Hey, what's going on with this situation? What happened? Tell me about it. I want to, I want to hear from you about how things about how this went down. He's going to send Tychicus t- to, to the letter. He's, he's going to deliver the letter. They'll hook up at some point down the road, hopefully, right? But he said, no, I'm going to come personally, and we're going to have a conversation about this. You know what that reminds me of? The day that I stand before the Lord, and he says, hey, we're going to have a conversation about your life. Not about the sin that I pinned to the tree. That's already dealt with. But we're going to have a conversation about my grace and what you did with my son, Jesus Christ. Did you let the world know that you belong to him? Did you serve him? Did you what, what did you do with the grace that you were given? Were you a good steward of it? Did you forsake the good commission, the great commission to go out and tell other people about Jesus? Not just tell them about Jesus. It really says make disciples. It doesn't just say, hey, you know, casually tell somebody about Jesus, but... Take them under your wing and teach them about Jesus. Jesus said, teach them all that I've commanded you. And so we're all going to give an account to the Lord one day. And, you know, I want, I want that account. The words that I want to hear from the Lord are not just enter into your rest. But I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. I wanna hear you you did well with my son. You you stayed the course when the world went veered off to the right, you stayed the course, you made Jesus known. And you taught other people about me. You know, I can't answer for what you're gonna answer for, but that's what I want to hear. I wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And so, you know, Paul is telling him there's an accountability that happens, even with when grace is present, there's accountability, folks. The Lord is keeping watch over the things that we're doing, you know. It says, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. The Lord's going to ask you about what you did with his son. He already knows, but he's going to make you know that he knows. It's like Paul telling Philemon, I want to come see you, see how you worked out this letter in your life. And we're going to talk about it. Grace works to keep... To, to keeps us k- accountable, and it also works to keep us in fellowship. Look at verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. As believers, we're called to live, we're not called to live separate lives, but live lives with, with each other, to do life together. Paul mentions five people that are connected to Philemon here. They know him. These are men that aren't casually giving greetings to him. These are people that know Philemon. And so Paul is saying, hey, these guys want to say hey to you. Um, They they want to have fellowship with you. They're looking forward to seeing you. Paphras is the first that Paul mentions. Many believe that he helped plant the church in Colossae, that he went to Ephesus where Paul was and Then went back, um, perhaps with Philemon, and they started a church in Philemon's house. And many believe that he was actually the very first pastor of the church in Colossae, where Philemon is. He was in his house. Um, He he was from Colossae, according to uh, Colossians 4.12. And so Paul reminds him, hey, Epaphras says hey to you. He's loving on you. There's, there's fellowship there. He also, he's a fellow prisoner of Christ. It's unclear whether Paul is identifying uh, Epaphras as an actual prisoner or if, if he's just saying symbolically, he's a prisoner of Christ. He's a slave of Christ. He's doing the work of ministry like I am. But what we know is that this man, Epaphras, has dedicated his life to serve the Lord. And he knows the situation going on here. Then he goes on and he, and he mentions John Mark. You guys remember John Mark is? He was Barnabas's brother. Remember what happened between Paul and Barnabas where they had that, that thing? You know why that, that, that division happened? Because of John Mark. Because Barnabas wanted to bring him on his second missionary journey. Paul's like, no way, dude. I'm not bringing that guy. He's a coward. He took off on the last one that we went to. And, you know, if you've ever done missionary work, the last thing you want is someone discouraging you in the, in the middle of the work, right? And, and Paul said, I don't want that guy coming with me because he's going to discourage us. And Barnabas said, well, I guess you're going to go without me. And so he took Silas and then Barnabas and John Mark went out and Barnabas poured into this man. So much so that later um, Paul finds John Mark beneficial to himself, to ministry he gave him another chance, but he couldn't take the chance then. But, but Barnabas poured into him. Barnabas is such an incredible person, man. He, he was the first person to come alongside Paul when everybody else was afraid of him. He, could, he took a chance on Paul. He took a cha- chance on John Mark. This guy, it was an encourager. That's what his name means. Be a Barnabas, man. Come alongside of people. This is what it looks like. When everybody else kicks them out, kicks them to the side, you come alongside them. You disciple them. You minister to them. You pour into them. You make something out of them. Look what, it, look what the Lord did through him. That's so much so that now John Mark is with Paul and he travels with him. Um, even at the very end of his life in Second Timothy, I think chapter 4, Paul calls to send John Mark to himself because he loved him so much. He was such an encouragement to him. You see how much God can do in a life that is yielded to him, that he can change anything. He goes on and mentions Aristarchus here, who was a Jewish believer who was from Thessalonica. Tradition holds that he was martyred under the persecution of Nero in Rome, and perhaps even at the very time when Paul was. He was an encouragement to Paul. He knew Philemon somehow, and uh, Paul mentions him. Then he goes on to mention Demas. Demas, at this point in the ministry, in Paul's ministry, is an encouragement. He's in fellowship. He's loving on the brothers. But we know from Second Timothy uh, that Paul mentions Demas at the end of the letter. And he says, Demas has departed. He, he fell in love with the world. And he left me in my last moments. Demas was a man who uh, perhaps was never a Christian but he looked like one i'm not saying he wasn't but the bible says in 1 john that they um, they went out from us because they were not among they went out from among us because they were not from us they were not real believers in christ and maybe that was demas we don't know but what we know is he departed paul because he fell in love with the world what a sad testimony i don't want that to be my story i hope you don't want that to be your story be faithful to the lord steadfast in following him. Then we have Luke, who is Paul's fellow worker, he says. You remember Luke. Luke's the doctor that followed Paul around, ministering and caring for him, Uh, and and he he was, uh, again, somebody that Paul found great delight with. These are guys that Paul's doing life with. They're not casual friends. These are people that are in the grind with him that know all the things that are going on in his life these guys are doing life together this is what it's supposed to look like and here's what's interesting paul mentions these five dudes here because they all know philemon and they know this situation and paul is bringing again once again he's bringing philemon into accountability but he's telling him don't forsake the fellowship either these guys are going to come hopefully to minister with, to you and be with you. Grace works to keep us in fellowship. The Lord wants you to have deep, intimate relationships with each other. Not surface level high five Sunday mornings kind of like, hey, how are you doing? See you next Sunday. You know what? I, it's, it blesses me so much to know that that's happening though. You know, because it, it does, it's happening. It's not something that the church has to organize, but it's something that you guys are doing in and amongst yourselves. And that's how it's supposed to be. The early church went from house to house breaking bread, having fellowship with one another. You know, they were steadfast in the word of God together. And um, <clears throat> so continue to do that. Continue to be in fellowship. Grace will keep us in fellowship with each other. You know what will get you outside of the fellowship of, of brothers and sisters? Being a grudge holder, not willing to forgive, being, uh, not, not allowing grace to flow through you. Listen, we're all messed up. I, that might come to a shock to you right now. You're like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> well, he is, but I'm not, you know. while well, my spouse is, you album, you know. Listen, we all have issues. And, uh, you know, but it's grace that keeps us together. And it's grace that helps us to bond each other together. It's Christ. It's the unity of Christ. But we need to stay in that. So we need to stay gracious to one another. Paul goes on here. The very last thing that he says is in verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think this is the point of the, of the entire letter here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is how you do this. This is how you do everything that I've talked about up to this point. This is the how to. This is how you do it. It's, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and your spirit in combination together that will allow you to forgive Onesimus in this moment and be, uh, you know, a vessel for me in the this city, in, the, in this church, and uh, before these people. If Philemon was not convinced at this point of, of the necessity to forgive Onesimus, I think he maybe got the point here. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. There is nothing uh, more impactful than the grace of God. When God gives you something that you don't deserve, And he's done that for you over and over and over again. Like we think of the grace of God and it didn't stop at the cross, folks. You receive the grace of God on a moment-by-moment basis. All the time, the Lord's dispensing grace on us. And we need to take notice of that. God, you're so gracious and good. And you give me the things that I don't deserve often. Help me to be the same way, to, to to be the... you know, the, the image bearer of Christ, that his grace that we receive would, would then be dispensed back out. But you can't, as Ken Sandy said, you can't do that if you're not breathing it in, folks. I'm convinced about one thing, that maybe some of the biggest problems that people have with forgiveness is they, they can't believe that God has forgiven them, and so it's difficult for them to forgive others. If you can't breathe in the grace of God and receive the grace of God in your life, that this applies to somebody here today, then you, you'll never be able to, to breathe that grace back out. And you struggle with holding grudges and you struggle with forgiving people because you can't uh, forgive yourself even though the grace of God has been dispensed upon you. And the Lord wants to tell you this morning that he, you need to just breathe in his grace and you need to let go of those things that you're holding on to because that's hindering your ability to exercise grace towards other people. Breathe grace in. Sit before the Lord and think about how gracious he is. Listen, you, got, you have a meeting that you gotta go to to talk to somebody about something they've done to you. You better breathe in a lot of grace before you go. You better sit before the Lord and be reminded of how gracious he, he was to you. And then you go, and man, I'll tell you what, that, that just one person, like he said, coming into a situation, breathing grace, is gonna transform the, the conversation, folks. A gentle answer turns away wrath. You come with the right heart, you come with a gracious heart, the Lord's gonna do an amazing work. And so if that's you this morning, the Lord is telling you that today that you got to release, you know, you got to release that, the, that the, the forgiveness that you seek, he's given you, but you got you to receive it this morning. And that's you breathing in grace. You receive that grace and you're going to be able to give grace back out. Listen, don't leave here this morning without experiencing the grace of God. He's given us the grace this morning He wants to give you the grace to forgive your sins if you're not a Christian this morning. He wants to bring you into right relationship with him. Don't leave this morning the same person. All your sins can be forgiven. God can change and transform your life. All you have to do is receive his grace. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together in the book of Philemon. And Lord, we pray that right now, God, that you would do heart work heart surgery in us, Lord. You, by your spirit, even right now, are speaking to some in this room in such great ways, Lord. We pray that we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers now. Dispense your grace here today, Lord, on those that are needed, and and may you help us all to breathe in grace to leave here with the capacity to breathe grace back out. Lord, we love you. We praise you for your son, Jesus. And we just ask you to help us to be mindful as we're in the world about the testimony that we're laying. As we continue to pray, Lord, if there's, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, will you, eyes closed, heads bowed, will you continue to pray? I'm gonna ask you to just lift your hand up. I wanna pray a prayer with you. The Lord wants to forgive you of your sins. If you wanna be released this morning from the bondage that is just totally imprisoning you, you lift your hand up right now. The King of kings, the Lord of glory, wants to set you free. Is there anyone in this room today that needs to be set free from the Lord? Anybody at all? Hey, if you're, if you're watching online, this applies to you as well. God is a gracious God and we thank him for his freedom. The Bible says that if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. If that's you this morning, you just cry out to him in the quietness of your own heart. and You say, Lord, I wanna receive your grace this morning. I wanna be forgiven of my sins. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And, I, and that is the grace that you've given me. And I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning to you today. I receive you as my lord and savior for the rest of us lord fill us with your spirit we pray in jesus name thanks for listening you can hear more of pastor tim's studies through the word of god on our website www.calvaryofcolumbia.org thanks again for listening and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study god's word